Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Buenos dias. And Larry Correa. I'm Dave Butler. <laughs> Today's episode, Editorial Roundtable. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rider <laughs> Dojo. All right. Today, we have a super-duper special episode chock full of guests today because, you know, we, we had everybody in the room and up in the studio, so we figured we'd just get everybody in. All right. So today, we have two guests with us. We've got Chris Rocchio. Hey, everybody. And the man, the myth, the really, really tall guy, Dave Butler. I am happy to be back. Thank you. All right. Now, Dave Butler holds, uh, you know, our record from last year. Between him and Craig Nibo, th- those two guys, all of our listeners, you guys said that their episodes were some of the best ones. So we're glad to have you back with us, Dave. And then Chris, of course, we're glad to have you uh, back with us after talking about, you know, yourself and science fantasy and stuff in some of our previous episodes. Now, today, we thought what we would do is... I've noticed a lot on the Writer Dojo, there's been quite a few people talking about the the concept of editing and the concept of editing anthologies and putting them together and stuff, uh, but in general, editing, okay? And I thought it would be really good for them and for the people who are, uh, who are you know, they just want to be authors, they have they have no desire to, to edit, and that's probably the right solution, uh, to hear from four people who have edited before what we do, what we expect, what we hope for when we are reading through people's stuff. So real quick, Dave, can you tell us, uh, can you tell our listeners your editorial experience, so to speak? Uh, for three years, uh, I was uh, editor, acquisitions editor at Wordfire Press. I uh, done an anthology for uh, Immortal Works. And for about a year and a half now, I have been a consulting editor. So think of that as a like an indication of my it's a part time gig for me for uh, for Bain Books, where one of the things I do is developmental edits. I uh, I have editorial responsibility for novels. Okay, and then Chris, let's let's get your your little your your brief intro into the into the editorial. Yeah, too. sure. So I worked for Bain for seven years. Started as an intern, ended as junior editor. Uh, editor in publishing, it kind of just means guy who works there. Uh, most of what I did was sort of actually fixing things. Uh, you know, if somebody didn't answer an email, something fell through their cracks. I was that was my job mostly. I did a lot of social media stuff as well, some marketing stuff. But when I was editing actually for real, uh, I was usually putting together short story anthologies, collections, mm-hmm. either new material or reprints. Um, you know, so I would go through and you know try to contact like the Asimov estate and get the rights for a story or something like that, or wrangle you know new writers and say, hey, I have a theme. You know, we're doing uh, space pirate stories. Please write me one of those. I need it by you know June thirtieth. Actually, I need it by October, but like please get it in sooner. You know, and uh, try to get because uh, like authors are like way worse than cats, and uh, you know you got to get that stuff together. Um, so that was most of my editorial work. I did a little bit of acquisitions. I picked up one author when I was a band. That was Pat Childs. Pat, if you're listening. You're great. That is great. <laughs> and then, Larry, you've done some editing. Uh, yeah, I've uh, edited four anthologies now, and um, but, but co-edited, so I had somebody helping me, so I wasn't mm-hmm. doing all the, the hard stuff. And uh, then I've also done um, just editorial where various collaborations where people brought books to me and that kind of thing. A lot of self-editing. Yeah. And then for me, uh, you know, I've, I've done some anthology edits. Uh, and then on top of that, a lot of the stuff that I've done is actually more 
it's it's pre it's a lot of pre-publication very pre-publication stuff you know where i've i've done a lot of developmental edits uh, and pre-edits story content well, and you've been whatever. like alpha read like major first alpha yeah. reader for probably what a dozen yeah 20 yeah so so authors. i used to do it yeah i used to do it for brandon sanderson uh steven erickson um a few guys over in england so some of some of the 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 bigger of the bigger names, yeah, some of mine, right? And 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 I've oh yeah, I've, I've I've read for you as well, obviously. And so there, what I like here is that the four of us all have widely diverging areas and where we're we're coming at this subject. Now, from a from an from an editorial perspective, I guess what I want to hear is from from all of us is what are kind of our philosophies when it comes down to what am I editing? How am I editing a person? Um, I want to start with you on this one, Chris. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the first thing you kind of need to do is, is not make the author into someone they're not, right? You're trying to figure out what they're, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to say with their story, what they want their story to be. And um, sometimes they'll tell you, or sometimes it's really obvious from the work, but sometimes, you know, that's a conversation that you need to have. Right, because you don't want to you don't want to make them someone they're not, right? Uh, and uh, you need to try and bring out the the, the best that that writer or that story uh, can be. Um, now, I mostly when I edited stuff, I was editing short fiction, right? Um, but the the one book I worked on was Frozen Orbit by by Pat Childs, because uh, I just mostly had another function in the office, right? And so you know you have long conversations with the writer, like you know what are you what are you trying to do with this? Like you know this is a series, right? Like where are you trying to take the story? You know oh I don't know that you got there with this, right? You know you sort of look at the high level stuff first, and then you kind of work down towards the smaller things. You know you'll do the sort of big structural stuff because there's not really a point in line editing until the structure of the story is kind of hammered in because like you might delete a lot of the lines that you just edited and you're wasting time so um you know editing is sort of a a process of that bit for blade runner where we're enhancing the photograph right you're zooming in and then eventually you hand it over to copy edit and they'll look at you know grammar and things like that um because I guess one of the things we should say too is like editing means a lot of different things sure. in publishing, right? It, it means like people imagine it's like, you know, shaping the story and moving that way, or they imagine that it's like proofreading. Um, and it's both of those things, but, um, you know, it's, it's also like, you know, curating short stories. So like the word means a lot of different things, but um, yeah, we should specify real fast for the, for the indie authors that are, that are listening to this who are purchasing editing. Mm -hmm. uh, you're purchasing basically a package. You're purchasing like what kind kind of edits. And so keep that in mind when you're hiring somebody, what their background is and what they're doing. Because like I said, like Chris just said, a de developmental story editor is different than the copy editor. Yes, very much so. Maybe that's worth talking about. So a developmental editor uh, shapes the story and says, hey, listen, you know, we, we go flat in act two here. We, we should, if you thought about having some additional action scenes, they might look like this. Uh, a copy edit is someone who reads through and is looking for things like inconsistencies, uh, name changes or handedness changes or, or things like that. Uh, a, li a line edit means someone who will go in and suggest improvements in your prose. And then proofing is someone who's looking for just mistakes. Now, in practice, the lines get fuzzy, right? And sure. Someone who is doing one will sort of lean across the line or you know, yeah, if you catch a typo, other. you fix it. You right. Know, but, but in theory, those are the four developmental uh, copy, line edit, and proofing. Yeah. All right. So, so Dave, mm. at what point... 
Okay, I guess so. I, okay, you do acquisitions. Uh, I, I would say that I am involved in acquisitions. You're involved in acquisitions. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's let's run through the process for okay. for the general uh, the general person who's submitting their manuscript. Let's say they they submit their manuscript to Bain and it gets accepted. Okay. What are from an editorial standpoint? What steps is an author going to be taken through? An editor hopes that he gets a manuscript that requires no work. How wonderful <laughs> would that be, right? I can get paid for doing nothing. Oh, I just read this amazing science fiction novel. It needs no work. That's like the best case scenario. I get no jazz from changing a novel. Um, in practice, it's not very many uh, novels uh, that require or, or could benefit from no changes. I am asking you over here grinning because I have a really good track record on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so an editor is assigned. Uh, the editor is going to read the novel. What you'll get from, I think, any of us um, is uh, two things. Uh, one is a letter. could be in the body of an email or a separate Word file that says, you know, hey, great job. I like this book. Here are some suggestions and a relatively limited number of comments. I, now, I have been edited at... Uh, Random House, we went through three turns of developmental edits, right? Oh. Bain is unlikely to do that many turns. We just operate on a much shorter timeline. Um, might be a couple. Might be one. Okay? Uh, very occasionally, it might be zero. So, uh, assume, though, you'll wait some time. Hopefully, the editor tells you, hey, by the way, I'm assigned to work with you, so if you want to, you got any questions, reach out to me anytime, right? That's, that's, that's good practice. You get a letter, and you probably also get the manuscript. Uh, if it's for me, you have a bunch of track changes in it. Uh, Tony tends to print them out and mark them up by hand. Um, and, uh, and, and there will be additional comments in the hand notations or in the track changes in the manuscript, some of which go to kind of copy edit or line, level, uh, line edit level comments or even, right, this is my point. Those edits kind of bleed all together. But the principal purpose is this is your developmental edit. And you'll get a deadline which says, please have it back by such and such time. And you should take that deadline seriously. And you should also know that if you really need to, there's probably a little bit of fudge built into it and you could probably slip two weeks. But you should talk to your editor if that happens. You should say, hey, I'm not going to make the deadline. Um, and, you know, and, and is it okay if I wait two weeks? Okay. But because we have a short a relatively short editorial timeline, what that means is your book is being put into the calendar and a cover is being commissioned while you're doing this turn. Yeah, and also we do e-arcs, uh, which are early release versions that often aren't uh, fully finished for the people who just can't wait. And that can be fairly lucrative if it's a book that's in demand. So if you are not hitting those deadlines and getting your manuscript back you to the editor, that. You're, you may lose that income. Right. And we have to we have to crank up the sales force to go talk about the book to bookstore. So there's a lot of reasons why it's important for you as a ma- and by the way you want us to come buy a second book from you too. So you want to be someone who hits your mark and is good to work with, right? So it's okay if you're not. You probably we have planned on you missing your deadline a little bit, right? Um, but you should just talk to us. Um, so uh, usually you make the revision, you send it back. Probably that's basically the edit. Uh, I as editor say, hey, this looks great. Uh, maybe I have like a last question or two. Probably not. Uh, I send it on. It goes to copy edit. Usually you will get back the track changed version um, of your file 
by the way, please don't submit like RTF files and PDFs. Like if you don't have access to Word, I understand, but like Word is the standard. If unless there's a problem, um, you'll get back the track changes. Uh, here are all the suggested changes from the copy edit, and you decide what to do with those. All right. Um, okay. So so as the author, how much how much give does the author actually have in terms of saying, I'm not making that change. Well, this is an interesting question. I, I like the way Christopher talked about this. And actually, I, this is very, I find that a very uh, sort of simpatico viewpoint. I think about this in terms of the record, uh, well, really the recording engineer, Steve Albini, who uh, has a recording studio in Chicago. Uh, I think it's called Electrical Audio, and he's famous. He did, and there was a famously controversial album he recorded, which was Nirvana's In Utero. Okay. And, um, and Albini's point of view is, I'm not a producer. I don't come to you with ideas about what the record should be. I don't supply tracks for you to record. I am an engineer. I'm here to facilitate your vision. And so In Utero was controversial because uh, Nirvana's vision got recorded and the record company didn't like it, <laughs> right? So, um, so uh, look, look. Uh, you're the writer. It's your book. You should probably realize that if you are a pill and a pain about everything and we think you're going to insist on silly things, we might not buy a second book from you, right? Now, that's totally your prerogative. By the way, if you're enough of a pill, we might say, you know, we just won't even publish this one. Ah, irreconcilable differences. Right. So you just need to be, you know, be cool, be professional, talk openly about what you want, right? Um, but yes, you're not the editor's uh, slave for sure. So you uh, accept track changes on the, um, the the proof edit. Uh, sorry, the copy edit. And I have a story to tell with no names. <laughs> um, so there's a there's an author, fairly prominent, fairly fairly famous author, and I I hand on the copy edit, and I say to this author uh, in in the email. Now I will own that I could have I could have said this more clearly. Okay. There's a person with multiple books out. I thought, no problem. This person understands the process. And I said in the email, um, hey, attached are the uh, copy edit changes and track changes, the proposed copy edit changes. Uh, go through and for all the changes, decide whether you want to accept or reject them and then send me back a clean document. And I get a response like half an hour later that says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going any further until I get clarity from this. Do you mean I have to accept all or reject all changes it's 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 a it's it's a binary choice either i take it or leave everything i will make no further work until you clarify and i have to go okay look go through and for each change consider whether to accept or reject oh, it gosh. make your decision right so yeah the answer is that you go through and for each change right decide whether you want to take the change or not um if it's clear if they're clearly right I, by the way, will look at the manuscript before I send it to you. If it is, if the changes are clearly right, I may just make the change to save you the hassle. Okay, if it's because you don't know how to work, you don't know how to use quotation marks or something, right? <laughs> um, if that's the cases. case, yeah, yes. they, those those things happen. So um, goes back into the factory. Uh, we have a kind of air traffic controller ahead of production who moves manuscripts in and out right into the various phases. You get it at the same time as the proofreader. So after after copy editing, it gets typeset. Um, and you get a PDF version. 
and uh, at the same time, a copy editor gets a PDF version, and the copy editor is going to go through and take a week or so, and just they're looking for mistakes, right? Now they may occasionally give you a good, uh, a good. Um, hey, I caught this. This was inconsistent right, because of this. The gunpowder trail seems disconnected here. Had the fire go across it, you probably want to say blah. But mostly, what they're there to do is say, "Here's a bunch of spelling errors." Sometimes put in new ones. That is uh, that is true. Yeah, um, yeah, and you have a chance to go back and you can, if you want, reread the whole document at that point. Now, by the way, uh, the later you are delivering us the manuscript up front, you you might not have this bite at the apple uh, if we're too pressed for time. Um, that's the process. Uh, at that point, by the way, I think when you have, I think it's when you get the the copy to be proofed. That is the eARC copy, I think. Yeah. So your proofing changes after that don't go into the eARC. Right. Yeah, I want to circle back to your question about like, do you have to take all the edits or like, how do you negotiate that? One thing you could, you know, I may think it behooves writers to recognize too, is that you don't have to take the correction. You can say like, oh, like the editor says there's a problem here. I don't like their solution because it's wrong because they don't know about book 27 yet. Uh, or I don't like it because I'm me. Uh, but maybe like I should think about doing something differently, right? And merely the fact that the editor has identified what a uh, problem right, is an opportunity to maybe change something. And so, you know, part of the negotiating process in terms of listening to your editor and going back and forth might just be that, right? It might just be, hmm, well, they tripped over this and, like, they're a reasonably smart person. They do this for a living after all. Maybe I should change something, right? Uh, I've done that a lot. There have been a lot of times where I'm like, oh, yeah, like, that is not a very good solution. I, in fact, do not like that. So we're going to do something else. And, and, you know, you go in a different way. Because, um, of course, you know, you know your book better than your editor does in terms of, like, your world building and your sure. plans and things like that. Sure. So at the very least, you know, you can consider these opportunities for improvement, whether or not you take the prescription or not. You know. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue on with this. And, um, and I want to talk about, when we come back, the... The differences in editing for long fiction versus short fiction, I think. So we'll be right back. Hello, Word Mercenaries. I'm here today for Author Media, bringing you their fifth commandment of book marketing. Thou shalt not dig thy well while thou art thirsty. The publishing world is full of wolves who know how to separate new authors from their money. They prey on authors who are desperate to make money quickly. Remember, the wee little pig who quickly built a straw house got eaten by the big bad wolf. Building with bricks is more expensive and time-consuming, but it's much sturdier in the end. It takes time and money to develop your craft and build your platform. Most authors give up before they get good enough to see success. So pick a pace you can afford to maintain for 10 years. Publishing is not a way to get rich quickly. Only the big bad wolf says otherwise. To learn more about how to survive long enough to become successful, check out the website authormedia.com or tune into the podcast Novel Marketing. All right, welcome back, everybody. Okay, first half of the episode, um, we heard from Chris and from Dave kind of, you know, their approaches towards editing. Um, Dave walked us through more or less the process, you know, the the step-by-step of how you as the author are in in a traditionally published sense, um, especially from Bain, how you would typically receive these edits. Now, again, if you're self-published, this whole thing, this whole process could be different. Now, I happen to know I happen to know uh, a few editors who who do developmental edits for pay and and all that stuff, and you know, and and they typically 
once they run it through everything, they typically go and find you like a copy editor that they trust to go to run you through all the other stuff, right? Um, but what I want to talk about, and this is something that we've all had experience doing, and that's editing short fiction. And that's, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, as Chris mentioned earlier, uh, the, the herding cats aspect of it, the recruitment of authors to, um, to, as Larry has, has talked about in previous episodes before, the editing of these, of these people and, and at different levels. I just finished one actually last right. week. Uh, uh, the Down These Mean Streets, the third noir sci-fi fantasy anthology mm-hmm. uh, that I've done with, uh, co-edited with Casey Ezel. We just barely wrapped that up last week, sent that in. Yeah, and, and I found, I, I've been edited on the short fiction side and I've edited short fiction and, and I find the process to be uh, mildly exhausting when it comes <laughs> to, to yes. editing short Same. fiction. Um, in fact, I've edited, I've edited some of Dave's short fiction, now that Yo. I think about it. Um, and, I, and, and granted, Dave was, Dave was easy to work with, Larry was easy to work with. I, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed in this is um, I discover who I will and won't work with again sure. after I've done a short story collab- collection. Absolutely. So, so what about you, Chris? Ha- have you, what are some of the things that you've noticed when you've been collecting short fiction and how to do it? Uh, in terms of like the who I will or won't work with again thing, we're sure. we doing, we doing like war stories. Yeah. Uh, the real problem for me. Without is, naming anybody. Yeah, of course, of course. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sitting right here, Chris. Right. It was all you, Steve. Good uh, but the, the real trouble with me actually was dealing with reprints um, oh. of older stories because for one you have to figure out who owns the rights or if anybody owns the rights and there's not really a clear like you can't just go online and be like is this public domain yes no like it's a little bit more porous than that you have to like because it depends on when it was published the laws will be different they're covered differently that's annoying uh, and then agents get really prickly about these things so like there were a couple times where um, you know like we wanted to pay the uh, author's estate anyway because it's like the right thing to do but it was in public domain and uh, you know like you you know they're not getting back to you or something like that right and you're like look I am trying to pay this author because that is the cool thing to do. I don't have to. They don't like that, obviously, right? Uh, and they, they get like, well, if you're so confident, like, go ahead, make my day, right? Like, that's that's fun. Um, those agents I uh, work with exactly once, right? Uh, there was another one I, um, you know, we wanted to reprint this old story. And um, he was like, yeah, sure, we can do that. You know, send over your offer. So I did exactly what you're supposed to do and send a first draft of a story contract over because that is the best way to detail your offer. And he's like, whoa, we didn't get anywhere near contracts yet, man. Like, I don't know who you think you are. I'm like, I don't know who you think you are. Uh, like, I don't need this story. Like, I have, like, a list of 45 here. Like, it's it's ridiculous. So usually, um, you know, author, authors, if you have an agent, like, you might want to talk to them about uh, some of this stuff because, man, like, I'm not – bought some of your stories because of their comportment. But then you've got like, uh, you know, you've got authors who, uh, like they just don't answer emails, right? They, they think that your deadlines are suggestions. Uh, that's hard. Um, you know, it's really, it's those soft skills that sort of, you know, alienate uh, me as an editor working and putting these anthologies together. I, I have never, that's not true. On one occasion, uh, I will not work with an author again because the story was so bad. I just like, I'm not touching that person ever again. Jeez. Uh, um, again, I'm right here, Chris. Yeah, it was, it was, it was Steve, everybody. It was, Gosh, totally, it. it was totally Steve. <clears throat> Actually, it was Dave. Uh, no, but uh, no. Um, but uh, there is a double-edged sword there, though. So I, I know, um, so, you know, 
what are ways to get into Bain? One way to get into Bain is to win the short story contest. People, we right. notice you then. Another way to get into Bain that people have tried is to is to get in anthologies. But there's a risk there because because uh, Tony Weisskopf reads those anthologies, right? And I have seen Tony r- read those anthologies and decide, hey, you know, I'm happy with the anthology. I didn't like this writer's work, and like that writer has actually disadvantaged himself in future in future submissions. Interesting, right? So if you're gonna if that's your route, you should just be aware, man. Put your best foot forward because you will be looked at. Yeah, that's that is true too, right? You know, you shouldn't think of short fiction as somehow lesser or unimportant. Yes. And, and we have a tendency to do that because it used to be the prestige format for science fiction. Like that's just what science fiction was. And now basically your average person, my dad does not read, you know, short stories like nobody does, uh, like your average reader. So there is a, a, a tendency, I think, to think of them as afterthoughts or like little side abuses. But the people who do read them are other editors, you know, other writers, and uh, they can actually and are fully within their rights to make an informed judgment on your ability as a storyteller on the basis of your short story. Right? That's pretty interesting because I the, the way the way I've always treated writing short stories was it was an audition. That's the right attitude, you know. And yeah. I mean, shoot, I remember I remember when uh, when Larry invited me into the Monster Hunter Files anthology, and I was like. Well, who else is in this, Larry? Uh, he's like, oh, don't worry. It's just Jim Butcher and Jonathan Mayberry. Don't don't stress we too have much. Like eight, we have like eight New York Times bestsellers in that like, anthology. Well, Gloria Hamilton was in that one. No, I, I got no. She was in. No, uh, she's in. The she's in the noir one that I was in. I'm like, great. Yeah, no, no, no pressure. pressure. Oh, and and uh, uh, David Weber was in that one too. Yeah, yeah. So like, no, no pressure, come on, Steve. Guys, I'm like, and and so my thought was, okay, as long as I don't suck too bad, as long as me, you know, and and, and on the and on the on the flip side, if I can, if I can just somehow get mentioned in the same breath as them in a positive way, then I've done the right thing. I'm okay. But you know, it's interesting that you guys say it that way. Yeah, uh, I have a positive story on this front because I was just Mister Negative for a second there, which right. is admittedly my default setting. But um, but in in Sword of Planet, I have I have a friend. His name is uh, is Anthony Martezzi. Uh, he uh, he and I've been friends since college. It's the only thing he's ever published, and I have been on his case for years to write something. You fool, because he's great, <laughs> and he finally did. And uh, he was the one in this one review. Uh, everyone was like, "This collection was like it was okay or whatever," but this story was amazing. It's the only thing he has published, and I like every time he gets down. I'm like, Anthony, here's a review where everyone said you were good. Do it again, please. Yeah. All right. You know, so you can be that person, right? Uh, and it can have the opposite effect in some cases. Now he has not done anything with this, Anthony, but um, you know, uh, there's always uh, always tomorrow. I'm curious, Larry, when when for things like say Monster Hunter or Noir Fatale and stuff like that, how do you go about wrangling uh, the different voices and the authors that you want to be in there? Um, so what I've done, I, I've never done an open submission anthology. I've never put out a call for submissions. Because with the IPs that I'm working on, it would be, I just get a tidal wave of crap. No offense, but people would just throw stories at me and I don't have time to read a thousand stories. So what we've done is it's been invite only. Uh, and in each time I've sat down with my um, co-editor, or whoever I'm working with, and we kind of like make a wish list. And we would go by tiers. And then we got the suggestion from Tony Weisskopf. Mm-hmm. So you have your A tier. And so if, let's say if there's going to be 12 or 14 stories, we'll have 12 or 14 places. These are the authors we would love to have. This would be ideal. This would be our dream casting. Then there's your B list. That's like whatever you don't fill from the A list, this is your second tier of authors you would like to have. And then you have your C list. 
that's like your fallbacks, you know? And then there's me. I'm on the D side. <laughs> for diamond. That's right, baby. D for diamond. No, um, well, hey, there's nothing wrong on D list. I'm a D list author, right? you know, in the alphabetical list author success. Yeah. But in each case, I've been able to fill the stories off of A, or fill the anthologies off of the A list and the B list, uh, each one I've done so far. Plus, it helps, too, from an editorial perspective. If you get a reputation that your, your, your anthologies do well, uh, and they, okay, so for example, Monster Hunter is one of the best-selling anthologies we've ever had. I checked, uh, we're being beaten by one, um, uh, Larry Niven, uh, collection and one Honorverse. That's it. Uh, and Bane. Uh, yeah. And so it's one of the best-selling anthologies we've ever found. So for Monster Hunter, it's just A-list. Like if I invite somebody to Monster Hunter, they jump in. We've had people have made as much money on that short story as they did on their first novel, usually. Yes. Yeah, like I'm not. I'm yes. not. It's not even a joke. Um, now the noir ones, they sell more like traditional, regular anthologies. Um, so that one has been on like the A list, B list. I haven't gone beyond that. Um, but it's actually kind of cool. You throw it out there to people. You approach them. You say, "Hey, I think you'd do a great story for this. Would you be interested in providing a story? Here's the theme. Here's the details." Now sometimes. You approach people you think would be a fantastic fit, and I can name some authors that you guys all know, and they're great authors, but they're just too busy. They just don't have the time to do a, they don't have the time to take on another project. And you know what? You respect that. You respect, because I've turned down, I don't know how many people. I get asked to do an anthology, and sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, and it's just, you know, as the editor, you can't take that personal. Well, and 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 there's there's a lot of authors out there who understandably would rather have, you know, Dave editing their novel for them than than a short story because that novel is going to pay a bill whereas hopefully yeah whereas that short story might, you know, buy you lunch tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, and so so Monster Hunter files will buy you a nice used car. That's true. <laughs> okay. So it's one of those you, you, you take the projects as you come. As the editor, you can't take that personal. I approached a guy who I'm a huge fan of, and, and I'm, I love his work, and I think he's brilliant, and I thought he could have just did the best noir story ever, and I went to him. Uh, I'll tell you guys afterwards. But a great guy, and he, he would have loved it. He's a fan of my work, too, and, uh, and we approached him. He just couldn't. He just, there was no way he could squeeze in another thing. And you know what? That's fine. And there's other authors that, as you do this as editors, you guys will know on this too, that you build relationships of trust with over time where you have given them stuff and they have given you stuff. Um, you notice that I'm in a lot of Jonathan Mayberry edited yeah. anthologies, and Jonathan's been quite a few of mine because I know Jonathan. I know what he delivers. He, I, he's awesome. He's fast, and boom, boom, boom. He'll get you whatever you want on theme, on track, done. He does the same for me. So you, there is definitely this interpersonal communication part of editing. Have you guys noticed that too, Dave and Chris? Have you guys noticed that there's there's certain people that you're like, well, crap, that guy was awesome to work with. Or, you know, I I want to work with that person again, whether in terms of short or long fiction. 100%. I think one of the reasons to be in anthologies is to build relationships with other writers and with editors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I put Dave in, I think, every single one I edited or almost every <laughs> single one. Uh, at least the ones where I had, like, complete control. Because a lot of the ones, I, when I was starting out, it was like, oh, Christopher, you know, follow Tony Daniel around, follow Hank Davis around, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, by the end, I was sort of picking stuff. Uh, so, you know, I got, got Dave in a few. But, no, you totally do. I, I think from, never called me. like, a professional uh, – I'm sorry, Steve. That's another thing. You can't um, take a person when you don't get invited. <laughs> because sometimes you got to spread the love. 
Yeah, that's true. It plus, was, plus, you and I didn't know each other. That, at that that's point. the actual thing. I was going to point that out, but uh, I was. <laughs> I also was. You know, should I just like let it go? Like, just look like the like the heel on this episode. Uh, but, um, but yeah, no. I uh, the, the reality is is that unless you're in Monster Hunter Files, like you're probably not going to make a lot of money on your short stories, right? It probably will just be like the upfront money that you get, right? Or if you're doing like an indie anthology, you'll get a pro rata share of the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that might not be a lot. Right, although there is one, and Dave's in this one too. I still get like fifteen dollars every couple months. Yep, it's from like four years ago. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, but uh, you know, go to lunch. But um, but what you're doing is exactly that. You are um, you're making friends, right? And uh, that is the the important thing. So it's good to do, uh, especially early on. You know, get some short stories out there so that you have friends. Yeah, I can count yeah. on my fingers of my hands. I've been in like thirty anthologies now, and I can count on my fingers of my hands how many I've gotten a check after. The initial thing. Yeah. yeah, I've actually been in quite a few anthologies, and I've gotten checks from... Three? Th- three. Yeah. And one was one's because I edited it, so I got a bigger share. Yeah. Sure. Mm. And then the other two are Monster Hunter and Noir. Yeah. Right? Like... Yeah, so it's one of those things that it, there's a lot of business reasons to do it, but not necessarily financial reasons to do it. Yeah, it's not 1930. You're not Robert E. Howard. This is not going to be your career, right? Right. Yeah. Man, I wish, except for the depression part. Yeah, yeah sure. And, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and the suicide. I was going to say the suicidal tendency. Well, we were talking Great Depression. Yeah. I was talking about Robert E. Howard's depression. Oh, 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 oh okay. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, plot twist. Both. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't even right? think of that, but yeah, so uh, both depressions. Yeah, like it's, yeah, a lot of depression. Uh, but, but yeah, so it's like you, you shouldn't think of it as a money game, right? Another thing that you could think about, like long-term strategically too, is is you've written a lot of short stories. You can, especially, uh, you know, uh, if you want to self-publish it, you can put a collection of your own work together. Absolutely. Um, and that actually, those, those tend to do pretty well if you build your, your audience you can do a little bit better at that because um you know people might buy an anthology for like one story they're like oh there's a you know there's a larry story in it right or there's a game of thrones story or whatever and they won't read the other stories and this is a big part of like those the, the sort of higher end you know commercial anthologies that might be the case um but if it's if they like you and you've got like 20 years stories man like that actually is something that's a whole book you can put out that you've already written well because you've done that i have you've done that yourself and you've done, been pretty successful you have Two collections out, right? Yeah, they basically and the third one in the works. Mm-hmm. Yes, third one will be out in like a month or two. Yeah, uh, assuming I get the cover in time. That's always the gaining factor for me. Steve's done a collection. What Hellhounds? Yeah, dream I've done and a collection, and 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 it's actually been, uh, it's actually done pretty well for me. Those and consistently pay my car payment. Yeah, um, well, and 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 my whole my whole yeah. goal for for twenty twenty three is to write enough short stories this year that. And, and from a couple of the other ones that by the time all the rights revert back to me part with your next year I can do another collection next year yeah that's, that's, that's what I do yeah yeah yeah. that's um, cool and even if you're traditionally published like having this little uh, sort of supplemental thing on the side is a totally totally awesome thing to do um, you know money spent plus it's a good chance to get in front of just different people like I was in a, a anthology that Laurel K. Hamilton put together and people who were buying that were primarily Laurel fans and you know what that's an entirely different uh, Venn diagram because our our circles don't overlap that much of like her fans and so if a chance for me to help her out and get a story into one of her anthologies and get in front of her fans you know, that's just a great opportunity for me to hopefully people be like hey I like this story I'm going to read this guy's book so sometimes you just roll the dice on it and see if it's worth it yeah and even if you only get you know five ten more readers that is five ten more readers right yeah and then um, you're going to stick in your collection later anyway yeah, yeah exactly you can you could reuse these things so all right, so um, to kind of wrap up this episode, um, I want to go 
It's too bad we didn't have more time because we could actually go. Oh, we could. Uh, we'll we'll just get we'll just get every back everybody back on online at some point, and we'll we'll do part two to this because I, I really like the kind of this four-way conversation that we're having. Yeah, well, full disclosure, guys, we're just going to go to dinner now. That's true. <laughs> we're all very hungry. Uh, all right. So uh, what I want really quick is kind of in as concise form as we can get the reason, because I know we have people in in our listenership and in our Facebook group. And if you didn't know, you can go to our Facebook group. It's the Writer Dojo Facebook group. We let, we'll let you in most of the time unless we hate you. Uh, and we'll let you in and you can go in there and it's, we actually have a really good group of people in there. Um, a lot of good experts. Um, but we do have quite a few people in there who actually want to be editors. So my question is for, for all of us here, why should you want to become an editor? Hmm. I'll start with you, Dave, unless you want me to start with Larry. I can start with Larry. I. Uh, there are uh, there are some reasons that are really personal to me. Um, okay, yeah. So let's I, talk about that. Uh, I volunteered. I, I reached out to Tony when Tony Tony Weisskopf when Tony Daniel left Bain to say, "Hey, listen, I I very much like Bain Books, and I want Bain Books to succeed, and I want to make sure you have enough manpower, and I want to help you." And um, and by the way, that's basically the same basis on which I volunteered. Uh, with Wordfire Press six years earlier, mm-hmm. right? You need someone. I'm here. Let me let me help do the job because I want you to succeed. Um, I think the other big reason is uh, I actually care what gets published. I actually care what is out there in the world of fantasy and science fiction, and I think being a part of what gets published is exceptionally cool. I'll tell you, I brought my two daughters high school-aged daughters, uh, to Dragon Con last September. And I had been hyping up all the stuff they were going to see. Oh, there's the parade, and there's, like, the people in costume, and there's the Sunday morning street preachers who think R2-D2 is evil, and there's all this great stuff. <laughs> they, they, were, they found that all blasé. What they got super jazzed about was the late-night conversations in hotel room and hotel conference rooms talking with publishing insiders about the business, right? Uh, challenges, opportunities, things that needed to be done. Uh, and I do too. I think that's, I think that's a powerful uh, and interesting place to be. For me, honestly, <clears throat> the biggest perk for me that I've enjoyed is getting people who are good writers and talented people out there in front of an audience that's, that's honestly the biggest takeaway for me in putting these anthologies together is I've been able to take people that I know are good. They've got skills. They just need more readers. They need to be, they need the exposure. And I always joke on the show about don't get paid an exposure no, bucks. No but, exposure bucks? No, but but I, I love being able to take somebody who's only published a couple things and most people haven't heard of them. And I can get them in an anthology that people are going to read and people are going to read their story and be like, Oh, this guy's pretty cool. And every anthology I've ever done, I've insisted on having a little about the author's section at the end that they can plug their work and and send people towards. I, I every anthology I've done, I've tried to have at least a third to half of them be indie, or uh, I've always tried to have at least two or three or four people who are brand new, like total noobs. Because to me, that that's the rewarding part. As I want to see people pick their stuff up, I want to see them make it. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. And you're talking about my friend and all that. And I've done that a few times too. There are a couple people, and it's it is cool, right, to see it mean something to those writers when you talk to them after the fact as well, right? Because it's like new, right? It's a you big know, deal. You know, I you know have been at this for a few years now, right? So like sometimes you get kind of jaded, and you're like, man, this industry, I swear. Uh, yeah. But then you know that that is what it's all about, right? Is is like being excited about stories. Uh, and things like that. And it may be too that some of you listening, like you love stories, but you don't think you're a very good writer, right? Um, this is another thing that you could do, right? I'm not saying give up on writing and become an editor or that you, if you give up on writing, you should be an editor. I'm not saying either of those things, but you might not have considered that like, this is something that you could do if you feel like maybe your talents might be better spent at this, right? Maybe you are the sort of person who like everything you read, you have like, you, you read the book, you're like, oh, like this author did a pretty good job, but it would have been better if X, Y, or Z. That instinct is really useful. Uh, and uh, it may be that you could use that, uh, you know, to uh, help other people's stories be better. That is a really good reason to want to be an editor is because you love stories. Uh, fundamentally, I think that's the best reason. I think everybody here, we've all been edited by Tony Weisskopf. Yes. That was my first professional edit was by Tony. Oh. And it was it was one of those handwritten manuscripts. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, in Egyptian. I'm like, I... Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what are these hieroglyphs? Reformed, reformed Egyptian. It's... <laughs> the, the thing is, Tony, one of the reasons I think Tony is such a dang good editor is Tony is not a writer. I mean, she, she can write, but she doesn't want to write. She wants to edit. That's what she's in it for. That's and where her passion is. That's where her passion is. She's passionate in bringing out the better story. That's why she's so good. For me, um, it's twofold. There's there's one that's very selfish, and there's one that's a little bit more altruistic. The more altruistic one is, um, I love when, like when I solicit stories for something, um, or, or or advice or whatever, and. Like, Okay, so, so I'll use the example that I, I use fairly frequently. So when I put, I put together a collection called Shared Nightmares, and uh, I asked Larry to be in it, and Dave is in that one as well. Yep. And, and I remember Larry specifically, I said, hey, buddy, uh, here's this, I, I want this, this story. Um, this is mainly horror. You don't typically write horror uh, as it's defined, but um, also uh, no action. Because you're already known for that, and I and I know that I know that you don't need I I know that you can write anything, and so you know Larry turns in turns in the story that's you know it's it's uh, it might be my favorite one of my favorite one things of the best things I've ever written, and 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 so I I love I love seeing that you know people who you 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 just have a you just have a concept and you throw it out there you th- you know you. you put it out there into the universe and they come back with these stories that you're just like, holy crap. Like that's awesome. And that's different. And that's not what I expected, but it's better than what I wanted. Like that's awesome. Now on the little bit more selfish thing, and, and this is going to riff off a little bit what you were saying, Chris, and that's look, maybe you think that, that you're not a good writer. And so, you know, maybe you think that you should just go into editing. Therefore, well, you can, and that's great. Um, I know that from, from me, from, from reading some of these, you know, like, like when I did a lot of pre-reading stuff for, for Brandon or for, for Steve Erickson or for Larry or whoever, um, reading that stuff and seeing it from a critical eye and seeing how they put things together, um, from putting together a collection and seeing how other people write things and seeing how they do it, it's made me a better writer. And I think that there is an extreme amount of value in that for someone like me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they are like co 
you know, dependent skills. Yeah. Right. Because you need to edit your own work if you're a writer anyway. Yeah. Right. You need to be a part of that process. Right. We're talking about how, you know, you can take, uh, you know, your editor's complaints and come up with a new solution. Like if you're a bad editor, you might not be able to do that. And at the same time, too. Right. You need to understand what good writing is to edit. So it's not like these are mutually exclusive phenomenon here. Um, All right. So here's what I think we're going to do. We're going to we're going to put a pin in this one. We're going to call this part one. And so um, while while me, Larry, and uh, Jack figure out how technology works because we're old and dumb. Uh, well, I mean, Larry and I are old and dumb. Jack's actually pretty smart. Um, he's just old. He's just old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what we want you to do is we'll reconvene these, these four people at a future date. Um, so what we want you to do is submit questions to us about things that you would like either Dave individually or Chris individually, you know, specific things that, that, that we can all answer that you think would be interesting based on what, what we've already talked about today. And I think that'll make for a really fun future episode. It'll be very personalized to you listeners. So um, again, Dave, Chris, thank you guys again for coming on to the show. It's always awesome having you guys on. Um, uh, you know, I always feel more intelligent when, when these two guys are around. Uh, you know, I, I, I just pretend I talk a little bit like them, and it makes me sound more intelligent. It's great. Because by comparison, you sound good. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, we're, we're super stoked that you guys could come out. Um, and, and we hope that you listeners have enjoyed this as much as, as we've enjoyed having this conversation with them. So, again, this is the Writer Dojo. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo by leaving a five-star rating and review and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. I forgot how much you guys cough, that's all. <laughs>